Dating Skills Review, the central source for dating advice for men, brings you the Dating Skills Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the weekly Dating Skills Podcast from Dating Skills Review. This is Angel Donovan and today I'm interviewing David Shade. David Shade has been working on his area of speciality, which is sex advice, sexuality, for nearly two decades. Before David came along, all there really was was mainstream advice, which is pretty conservative and doesn't tend to really get to the truth or reality of sexual relationships. So when he appeared in two 2001 professionally after he'd been working on it for a while it was really a breakthrough and he was the first guy to to really break into this area so it's great to have him on the show today now before we start remember that if you want to stay up to date with dating skills review and what we've got going for you what we've got on on the air with the dating skills podcast and whatever freebies and other offers we've got going then go head over to our facebook page at www.facebook.com slash dating skills review and hit like to stay up to date you can do the same thing on google plus plus.google.com slash dating skills review to get all the news and stay up to date with the latest in dating pickup and seduction now let's get to the interview with david shade ah so david it's great to have you on the podcast Hey, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you, Angel, and uh, I'm honored to be speaking to your clients. Great. About 10 years ago, uh, in two, 2002, 2003, I first read David Shade's manual. And so it's, it's basically been a decade uh, since I was introduced to you as you know, someone talking about and, and teaching people about sex, which is pretty amazing. 10 years, it's been, it's been a long time already. I appreciate your, your long-term customer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I just wanted to give uh, people a bit of background. You know, you've been around for a hell of a long time compared to um, some people and teaching this stuff for a long time. So obviously, the, you know, you've been building on it for a while. Um, so, you know, it's great to have you. Um, by the way, uh, do you, do you still, is David Shade's manual still available, that kind of original document? No, it's not. It actually got, okay. uh, it, it grew. It mm. grew much larger. It grew into a program that I called Advanced Sexual Hypnosis, and that grew again into a much larger program. Now it's actually about 26 DVDs and uh, a huge binder, a uh, bunch of audio CDs, a whole bunch of stuff into one great big program. So that $29 book is now a $997 home study course. Wow. Well, that's a lot. Well, you know, I remember the days of uh, when, when it was just uh, one, one e-book and... Uh, you know, it was, it was a lot different back then. So it's, it's amazing that there's so much information there now to, to help people. Although, you know, I, back in the day, I did find that manual, uh, yeah, it was one of the first parts that's kind of sent me on my sexual exploration and, and expansion. So, you know, thank you for that. And it's another reason why I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show. So, um, now let's talk, let's talk a bit about where your work is focused on. Um, you know, you did a lot of work around orgasms and, you know, how, how to, give women better orgasms and, and talking about how, why women get orgasms and, and so on. Can you talk a bit about like why you feel that orga- orgasms are important um, and, and why you chose to write quite a lot about that area? 
Yeah, I've always found female orgasms quite fascinating. Mm. Um, you know, in my 20s when I was dating, before I got married, uh, I was very fortunate to be with women who were very responsive. Uh, they were all about my age. Uh, like my college sweetheart, she was very responsive to me, very orgasmic. I just had so much fun giving her orgasms. But uh, girls that I dated who I couldn't give orgasms to, it just was so bland. And I would, instead of trying to figure out how to give them an orgasm, <laughs> I'd just break up with them and, and go with the one who's actually having orgasms. Uh, so all the women that I dated for any period before I got married were very orgasmic. Mm -hmm. And it was just a lot of fun. I've just always been fascinated by women, fascinated by female sexuality, and fascinated by female orgasms. Uh, at the time, I really didn't put things together. Why are some of these women having orgasms and some aren't? It's something that I wanted to figure out someday. But then I got married. Uh, the marriage was great. She was hot. She was very orgasmic. We always had simultaneous orgasms in intercourse. Uh, we got married. We had two children, built big homes in the suburbs. But, and, and you know, sex was great. We had, we had sex every night. She had to have it every day. It was, it was fun. I, I, life, life was good as far as I was concerned. It sounds like the a perfect is, situation. After eight years of marriage, sh all of a sudden the, the frequency of sex started going down. I didn't know wh what's going on here. And then I found out, then she told me that she wanted a divorce. She was moving out. And then shortly after that, I found out that she had been dating a bad boy. She'd been cheating on me. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, this guy's the, Typical bad boy, machismo, slime ball, inconsiderate jerk, blah, blah, blah. But I want to, wanted to figure out, what does this guy got? How, could, how was he able to steal my wife away from me? I was pissed, and I was determined to figure that out. Also, at the same time, uh, I decided I had to figure out, what does it take to find a woman who you can actually have a successful relationship with? How, how come I chose wrong? What? What? What did I not know? What did I not see coming? Because I thought I was doing everything right. And I was, you know, I was a great father and husband and provider, classic nice guy. Um, so I started a long journey of introspection and deep research. God, I researched a lot trying to figure that out. And at the same time, I knew I was going to be dating again. And I figured, you know, I've always been very interested in human sexuality. I'm going to figure this out. Uh, I'm really going to enjoy trying to be a better lover. I'm really going to study up on this. And the girls that I was dating, I was trying new things on. I read every book that you could possibly get your hands on. I was ordering stuff through the mail. Any way that I could learn how to be a better lover. I wasn't really happy with the things that I was reading and that I was viewing um, so I just decided I was just try some stuff on my own and some really bizarre stuff started happening. I was doing things with the girls that I was dating that I had not seen written anywhere. And I continued to build this and I kind of, eh, you know, made notes of these kind of things, uh, tried to find men that I could talk to. Has anybody done this? Nobody had no idea. Now in the mid 90s, the internet came out, and I thought, wow, you know, the internet, this is great. Um, 
And I was in computers at the time, so of course at work we were heavy into the internet too. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, this is a uh, a theater where I can find other guys to talk to about this kind of stuff, try and see if anybody else has done this. And <laughs> interestingly, you know, at the same time I was trying to improve my pickup skills, so I looked around on the internet for, I was actually looking for wingman, is actually, and uh, I ended up stumbling up upon the seduction community, I thought, wow, this is great, man. There's a whole underground community on the internet. I'm going to jump into this. And I also found that it was a great place for me to write about the things that I had been doing with women, you know, giving them orgasms in new and different ways. Mm-hmm. And I found a great audience in the seduction community. Plus, at the same time, you know, I was reading up on mysteries, posts, and stuff like that. I actually hung out with mystery in the late 90s trying to learn some game, that kind of stuff. But I was really focusing on what I was doing with the girls that I was dating at the time. So I found a, uh, a great audience. And uh, what I ended up doing in 2000 is I took everything that I'd written in the 90s and I put it all together into one book and called it David Shea's Manual, for the lack of a better word, and <laughs> created a website and said, Here's this book for twenty nine ninety five, and you, you send me a dollar fifty for shipping, and I'll mail it out to you. And I actually printed the book on my dot matrix printer, and uh, bound the book in my living room. And you know, I send out about one a day in the morning on my way to work. Uh, a money order would show up at the post office, and that was back in the days of money orders and. Uh, paperback books. If you bought in 2003, you got the paperback book version. Yeah. Because it's actually sometime after that that I made an e-book. So, um, I really, what really took off though was in March of 2000, I took a three-day hypnosis course from a guy that I knew named Mark Cunningham, who I'd heard about through Ross Jeffries. He'd been on a number of Ross Jeffries products. When I heard him, I thought, wow, I'm going to study under that guy, and I want to learn hypnosis. Because by then, I'd already figured out that female sexuality is entirely mental, and what's the most powerful tool? Well, that's hypnosis. And when I learned hypnosis, it just changed everything. And the night after I came home from that seminar, my girlfriend came over, and she was looking forward to being hypnotized because she knew I was going to learn hypnosis. And I hypnotized her that night, and I did something to her that no hypnotist had ever done in documented history, and nobody knows that it's ever been done. And that actually became the first chapter of David Shade's manual. And that's just when anything really took off. Um, Learning hypnosis, doing some really wild, wacky shit. Uh, I'd always found that female orgasm fascinating. Now, you asked, why is it important? Now, I I know that a lot of people say, you know, there's a lot to be enjoyed in sex. A woman doesn't have to have an orgasm to enjoy sex. Well, this is true. This is absolutely true. A woman gets a lot out of sex, even if she doesn't have an orgasm. Lots of reasons. But I've also seen a lot of long-term marriages. Um... When I was divorced, I was 36 years old. I was pretty devastated, you know. Why did my wife leave me, blah, blah, blah. 
And at the time, I started dating, and it seemed like all the women that I dated were recently divorced women in their early 30s. So I talked to these women, because we had the common uh, experience of divorce, I talked to her about her divorce and her relationship, and I was always very fascinated with women and their sexuality. So I'd ask these women, why did you decide to divorce your husband? And in every single case, she had lost respect for him. Mm. And in every single case, she said that he was a lousy lover. Now, she lost respect for him for a various, it, it would be a different reason in mm. each case, but she did lose respect for him. Is there, but, is there any kind of like Fred to, you know, is there any way of abstracting that? Like there was like five overall reasons for losing respect or, you know, is it really very, very varied and kind of tiny details? It could be a number of things. And it could be in a lot of cases, the guy just was not being the man uh, he was not being sexually dominant. He was not being decisive in his life. Mm -hmm. He would not plan the dates. He would lean on her for a lot of things. He did not make her feel sexy, beautiful, and feminine. Uh, a lot of routine. Routine will kill respect. Uh, but in all of these cases, also associated with that loss of respect was he was never really a good lover. And every single one of these women, without exception, the first relationship that they, they would get in after their divorce, and in a very few cases, she cheated on her husband with another guy. But in all these cases, the first guy she was with turned out to be a bad boy. Right. And... These bad boys were really exciting lovers. They were very dominant in the bedroom. They were very masculine outside of the bedroom. In the bedroom, they talked dirty. Outside of the bedroom, you know, on occasions they talked dirty. They always made her feel really sexy, really, really, really feminine because they were really masculine. And these women loved the fact that he was very masculine. But they started to figure out, actually, he was very machismo. They loved the fact that he was very protective, but they figured out that actually he was uh, very possessive. They loved the fact that he was very dominant, but they eventually figured out that he was very domineering. And often what would end up happening is the bad boy would cheat on her with some other girl. And then these women would go through this terrible emotional roller coaster of trying to break up with him, but she's addicted to the sex. Finally, she breaks up with him. So anyway, I would ask these women, okay, uh, <clears throat> your, your bad boy boyfriend, he was a good lover. What was it? Did he have a big dick? And she'd say, well, actually, no. Then I'd ask her, well, your husband, he was a lousy lover. Did he have a small dick? And she'd say, well, actually, no. All right, so all that social programming that I was raised on started to crumble. That women are not what social programming had made them out to be. They're not these 
innocent little uh, creatures who don't have any naughty thoughts. Actually, they're highly sexual creatures, and they are very wrapped up in their sexuality. Sexuality is an extremely important thing to them, mm-hmm. especially when it's good. When it's good, they are deeply addicted to it. So I started thinking, well, you know, I kind of like what these bad boys are doing. And I reverse engineered the bad boys, and I just said, well, I'll, I'll just be a bad boy. What the fuck? Uh, I got a convertible Corvette, I wore a leather jacket, sunglasses, shaved my head, became a total bad boy, right? And uh, it fucking worked. The only, and, and <laughs> you know, uh, my wife cheated on a bad boy. So one of the things I had to experience is I'll, I'll go steal some other guy's wife. That's very, I, actually, I guess that was very cathartic for you, becoming the bad boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I look at myself now, I think, what, me? Ha, that's hilarious. And, yeah, but I went through this phase where it fucking worked. I mean, I was a total dick. Um, I don't recommend it. Uh, but, you know, uh, some guy stole my wife away, so I figured, fuck it. I'll do it. There's a lot of horny wives out there. They got lame husbands. And there's, I found out from talking to women after my divorce that there's a lot of women actually looking for this. And it actually wasn't very hard. It wasn't very hard to find married women who looking for a bad boy. Well, actually, they're not looking for a bad boy. They're looking for something. They don't really know what it is. But when they meet a bad boy, all of a sudden they realize, oh, they want him. They didn't really know that they were looking for it. Anyway, it, it was uh, not very difficult to get with married women. And that's kind of an interesting experience. But I didn't do that for very long because it actually made my stomach turn. It made me sick to my stomach. So I thought, okay. Um, oh, also, it, it did not make for lasting relationships. <laughs> And also did not really attract the kind of quality women that I was interested in. So I gave that up. You know, it was a fun experiment, but it was very much a learning experiment. I realized, okay, what I got to be doing, I got to be doing all the things the bad boys do that work. And I got to not be doing the shit that the bad boys do that ruins it for them. And I got to start bringing back some of the nice guy stuff that actually works really well. And definitely drop the nice guy stuff that I did that ruins it for a guy. So, I mean, all of this is really coming from a relationship perspective, developing a good relationship with with, with the girl, right? That seems where you, you came from. I mean, I, I know that's not everyone's uh, kind of where they, where they come from. But for me, it really seems to be kind of driven by what you wanted to do in the relationship and, and developing a good relationship with the women and getting better at it. Yeah, everything that I do is about developing a relationship. That's the perspective uh, of my work. That's the perspective of my interest. And I have been very fortunate that since my divorce, I have had wonderful relationships with truly wonderful women. Mm -hmm. And I really, really enjoyed pushing the envelope. I mean, really pushing the envelope hard of what is possible in a relationship. That that has been um, that has been the uh, the main avenue of my work. Now it is possible. Now the interesting thing is, 
<laughs> much of my fan base is from the seduction community. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, guys in the seduction community, they're interested in being better with women. And they also understand. Also, guys in the seduction community make investments in themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they in, invest in self-development. And what I have is basically self-development stuff. So it's a good match. Uh, also, guys who are interested in being better lovers, they're also interested in seduction. They really go hand in hand. And I've always been very interested in the seduction community. I've been involved in it since just about the beginning. In, you know, about 98 I started. And I've always been a big fan of it. And I still am. And I'm still very active. In fact, actually, <laughs> I, I do things the opposite. I worked on relationships for many years. I've been divorced for... Uh, uh, 21 years, many years I was working on relationships, mm-hmm. but actually now I'm really starting to knuckle down and figure out the seduction part, really working on my own game. Mm-hmm. But, but that's just for my own enjoyment, uh, for my own personal life. Uh, my my work has always been and always will be about making relationships stronger. But really what my work is about is being a better man having a better relationship with women. And a man can choose to use that in a long-term marriage, or he can choose to use it in one-night stands. I don't tell them how to use it in a one-night stand, but uh, I've gotten a lot of really interesting emails of what has happened in one-night stands. Uh Well, you know, I know that, You've gone into a lot of detail about different types of orgasms when you talk about them, and uh, you know, in, in, one, in one of your books, it uh, actually covers a lot of research about how the orgasm works or anything and everything. So, what would you say the main misunderstandings of orgasms are amongst amongst men, or what are the you know key things that they, they really don't want to get wrong? But you know, it's common common assumptions of how it works or something they've learned from society, which you know, it doesn't, doesn't help them and may sabotage them. No, there's a lot of things in society and social programming that does not help us as men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we need to find truth. Uh, truth is found in reality. And that's is certainly a very important thing that I highlight in my work. And all of us in the seduction community, we know the social program is a bunch of bullshit. We don't go by it, but we're all victims of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I could go down the whole list, um, but we're familiar with those things. Uh, let's talk about female orgasm. You and I talked briefly before, and I still haven't answered your question yet, and that is, why is it important for women to have orgasms? Mm-hmm. And after talking to all those married women, uh, they said that their husbands were lousy lovers. It's because their husbands were not giving them orgasms. Now, there was a lot of reasons why the husband wasn't giving them orgasms, but... The scoreboard is orgasms, okay? That's how you, that's how you know if you're doing it right. The orgasms. scoreboard? What is it, what the is scoreboard. That? The scoreboard is orgasms. That's how you keep score. Are you giving her orgasms? Yeah, you're doing it right. Are you not? You're not doing it right. <sighs> Women who, uh, who would leave their husband and then get with a bad boy, all of a sudden she start having orgasms. And she would become addicted to the sex. 
Okay, well, she's addicted to the bad boy. She's addicted to how she feels. But the the ruler, the scoreboard, is orgasms. That's that's how you know it's really working. Okay, it's like a all marker. of a sudden, yeah. All of these, all of a sudden, these women are having orgasms. Now, what would happen? Here, here's something very interesting, uh, and something that casts a very long shadow in my work, and that is that. These women who were married, a lot of them had never had an orgasm in intercourse. With her and her husband, it would be the same thing every night. Uh, he'd go down on her, he'd lick her until she had a clitoral orgasm. Then he'd get on top of her and he'd fuck her until... <sighs> we can use the F word, right? We're among friends. It's fine, it's fine. Okay, okay. He... <laughs> I have to check. Which interview... <laughs> Which that, interview I, is this? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely everyone listens to this, uh, so, you know, um, yeah, okay. I think people are used to it in society these days, it's in enough films, right? All right, so we can so we can talk about how we love to turn women into horny little cum sluts, right? All right. Um, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Be whoever you are, be whoever you are, that's what oh, I say. Right. So, you know, then the husband would get on top of her and fuck her until he had an orgasm, and then they'd roll over and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, that gets really fucking old. Now, interestingly, these women after the divorce, they get with a bad boy, and all of a sudden, they realize they can have orgasms in intercourse, which is technically called a vaginal orgasm. Mm-hmm. All right, so he was able to open something up in her, and that's because he was able to evoke very powerful emotions in her. Because female sexuality is 100% mental. It's not because the bad boy had a bigger dick. Can we can we just so, step back a, back a moment? Um, so, can all women have orgasms? Say that again. Can all women have orgasms? Is this something that you know every every woman you come across, you know, from from a perspective of a guy like right now, he's thinking, okay, orgasms are the scoreboard, and uh, right now I'm with my girl, and we're not having we're not having we're not having orgasms, so you know I'm kind of worried about that. So yeah, let's take be. a step back. <laughs> should be should be okay. So. <laughs> Do all women have orgasms? Um, right. what's, what's the kind of terrain that we're starting, starting with here? Okay. All women were born with a clitoris and a vagina and a brain. Mm-hmm. They are all capable of having clitoral and vaginal orgasms. Mm-hmm. They are all capable of it. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as some women being born lucky and some not. Period. But... It is also true that not all women have orgasms. Some women have never had an orgasm. Some, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've ever seen HBO's Real Sex. That was a special on HBO for a long time. They actually had a case on there where a 72-year-old woman finally had her first clitoral orgasm. She went to some class in San Francisco, and they taught her how to masturbate. Okay, <clears throat> so all women are capable of having orgasms. Not all women have orgasms. And it's for a number of reasons, but all those reasons are mental. They are not physical. Mm-hmm. There's something going on in the head. Now, it is certainly true that women who experienced severe sexual abuse as a child Mm-hmm. It's going to make it real difficult, as you can understand, right? It's going to make it really, really difficult. 
Um, but if you go completely to the other end of the spectrum, women who had a completely normal, healthy upbringing, interestingly, uh, orgasms come very readily for them. In fact, they actually started playing with themselves at a much earlier age than boys did. Girls um, raised in a functional home with love and support and guidance and rules and boundaries and a close relationship with her parents, she'll actually have <laughs> date girls, exactly those kind of girls, and they tell me that they started playing with themselves when they were four or five years old. And even before they started playing with themselves, they have wild sexual fantasies. They, re they really didn't even know about the sex organs. They just had fantasies about men and women getting intimate with each other, and they didn't really even know the physics of intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, but they would have their first clitoral orgasm through experimentation. They, they just realized, wow, when I touch this, it feels good. At about four or five, some at six, that's pretty late. Um, it, it could be they happen to be rubbing against a windowsill. It could be they just playing with themselves at night. could be sliding down a banister, sliding down a jungle gym. Uh, they kind of uh, fall upon this. They, whoa, this is fun, and they just go with it. And, <laughs> you know, wow, I got this new toy, and they play with it a lot. And interestingly, these girls um, from age 6 to 11 – have a lot of lesbian experiences with their little girlfriends. You know, they have the the little uh, pillow sleepover. They have the sleepover, but what they do after the lights go out is they get naked and they get it on, and they rub their genitals together. This happens a lot. Uh, little girls between 6 and 11. Mm -hmm. After about 11, they, they start to differentiate, then they start getting more interested in boys. Uh, up to them, up to that point, it's just way too taboo. Uh, but they experiment with each other, and then the uh, the straight girls. Well, we have to be careful when we say straight. <laughs> the girls that are, that that are going to go society's normal route of uh, eventually getting with guys, um, they'll stop playing with girls about eleven or maybe a little after. Typically, this is from the girls that I've dated have told me. And then they start uh, flirting with boys and going on innocent dates with boys. But then it'll be about 14. Then they'll actually have sex first with a boy, maybe 15, some 16. Uh, interestingly, a number of these girls, when they were 14, they would seduce a man who's much older than them. I mean, these were really, really confident women. I mean, they were really confident in their sexuality. And when they were 14, they were really starting to blossom. They started to look pretty fucking hot, and they knew it. And they were exercising their sexuality, their sexual power. And they'd actually seduce, like, the single father of their, their girlfriend's father that they used to babysit for. She'd seduce him. It'd take a while to finally do it. Like one ex-girlfriend of mine seduced a 40-year-old man when she was 14. She said, David, I was having sex with a 40-year-old man, and I had teddy bears on my bed. 
And she said, there's no way she would ever admit it. Even if they got busted, she would never admit it. She would protect them. But that's how sexual these women are. And they are readily, readily orgasmic. Um, my college sweetheart, the first time uh, we had intercourse, she had a vaginal orgasm. Um, let's see, I, the first girl, no, the second girl I dated right after I graduated from high school, she was a virgin, and the first time she had intercourse with me, she had a vaginal orgasm. Mm-hmm. Just, it just works. But there are a lot of women who struggle at great length. Now, there's a lot of reasons. Well, so, so, like going back there, so you just, we've just been talking about you know development, quite kind of an aggressive development path, I guess. Where from, as I understand it, some some of the women you've been with, which were very confident and very sexual when you met them, you know, uh, in their 30s or whenever it was. And they, they described how they evolved uh, when, they, when, they were, when they were younger to you. So I guess we're talking about, you know, a, a minority who... No. no, no, God, no, no. Okay. No, 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 this is not a minority. You have to realize these... All right, we're talking... You and I are, are, are students of pickup, right? Mm-hmm. But we have to set that aside for a minute. Look at what's really going on inside women. Let's say you really have a key to what's going on inside. You don't, you don't have the thin veil of uh, trying to get past the opener and trying to get attraction. All that. Let's assume we actually really know a woman and she is revealing her true self. Yeah. All right. What goes on? There are... There are a lot more out there than you think. It's actually a majority, uh, certainly in Western culture. Okay, let's right? put a number on it, uh, 60%. Yeah, at least. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they're, they're sexually confident. I mean, they're, com- they're confident in their sexuality. Of course, they all think their butt's too big. Mm-hmm. They are all extremely self-conscious. Mm-hmm. They think their feet's too big. They're girls, okay? Girls are self-conscious. But girls are also sexually very confident. Um, I should say very much in touch with their sexuality in a lot of regards. Uh, Women are highly sexual creatures, far much so than men. And we don't give them enough credit for that. I mean, we we have to actually admire that. In fact, we can leverage that. I don't know how to do it in pickup, but I sure as hell know how to leverage in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> uh, just like go read the book called uh, My Secret Garden by Nancy Friday, which is a runaway bestseller. And that book is one perverted clusterfuck, man. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how sick these women are. <laughs> yeah, uh, just just, just for the reader's benefit, so that the, the book talks about uh, the fantasies and dreams that uh, a lot of different women have had. And Nancy Friday interviewed many, many people, many, many women from different backgrounds um, uh, to put it all into that book. And there's actually another book, uh, a, sec- a second or maybe a third book, uh, going along the same lines. And yeah, they're pretty extreme. They're pretty extreme fantasies, and uh, it's, it's worth reading to kind of shock yourself into, you know, what, what women fantasize about. Because uh, uh, I, th- I think you need a certain amount of shocking to get, to get your head around how different it is yeah. from, from us. 
Yeah, how very different they are from how much more advanced sexually they are from us. Uh, you know, men download porn pretty easy, but women read four hundred page romance novels, huh. and then by reading. Nancy Friday's My Secret Garden. It was a real eye-opener for me. I thought, wow, these women are sick, sick perverted freaks. I love it. Hmm. Um, and then look at the popularity of Fifty Shades of Grey, which is about heavy dominance. But it's also about the woman kind of running the show, too, which is why it's total bullshit. But anyway, uh, then um, in... The late 70s, a book came out called Nine and a Half Weeks. It was later made into a movie, which is fucking drag. But the movie is lame compared to the book. The book is fucking scary. It's about this really hardcore dom who totally doms the shit out of this woman who is a middle-level executive at a large corporation in... New York, mm-hmm. you know, uh, up and rising educated professional, but at night she goes home and gets totally dominated by this hardcore dom, and it was a New York Times bestseller number one for a long time. It sold millions and millions of copies. Mm-hmm. Um, it just goes to show just how powerful this stuff is for women, how very advanced women are sexually, far more so than men. Mm-hmm. Sex is much bigger deal for women than it is for men. Now, I don't know how to convert that into how you can leverage it and pick up, but I sure know how to leverage that in an ongoing relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, what, 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 so, uh, you know, we're, we're talking around uh, basically the, the, the sexual territory, how sex, what is the reality of sex, right? Um, and, and how women are. What would, so what would you say is a healthy attitude for a guy to have? I know you talk about this a lot, uh, and and not an unhealthy attitude for a guy to have uh, towards sex and towards women if he wants to have good sex yeah. and promote Yeah, them. okay. Right. Uh, do not be intimidated by the fact that she is sexual. Mm. And that means you have to be comfortable with your own sexuality in order to be comfortable with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely embrace the fact that she's a sexual creature. Celebrate it. Make it a big deal. Can you give it? Can, um, you, can you give us like a concrete example of a scenario? Uh, you know, yeah, kind of bring that alive. Yeah, um, definitely a very important thing is you, you know we as guys <laughs> we, when we get in the community, right? We all start started at AFC nice guys who respect women, right? Because that's what. Right society social programming taught us to do okay but women are sexual creatures so i tell guys respect the fact that she wants to be sexual respect the fact that she wants you to talk dirty to her i know you think that it would be disrespectful to talk dirty to her but actually you are respecting her wishes mm-hmm. okay definitely learn to talk dirty in the bedroom and that's just a you can just start by narrating um, definitely leveraging the fact that she is a highly sexual creature. Turn the tables, like what we do a lot in pickup is we turn the tables. We we blame her for trying to pick us up. Oh, you're just saying that because you you want to get in my pants, you know? And they laugh. Do do the same thing in a relationship. Um, here's one thing that I did. There there was a girl I dated for three years, two, two and a half years, and um. 
uh, on a Wednesday night, she'd invited me over to dinner. So I went over to her house. We had a lovely dinner. We sat on the sofa, had a nice conversation. And then I got up. I said, okay, thanks for dinner. I started walking like I was walking out. She said, what? Where are you going? I said, uh, what? She, she laughed. She said, uh, what are you doing? I went over to her and I said, uh, what? Uh, do you need servicing? <laughs> she laughed. Uh, well, maybe I do. I said, well, let's see. Um, have you masturbated this week? She said, yes. Hmm. I said, uh, have you thought about sex at least three times today? She said, yes. I said, hmm. Let me see here. And uh, I pinched her nipples uh, through her dress, and her nipples started getting hard. I said, hmm, your nipples betray you. She laughed. And then I lifted up her dress slightly and touched her panties, and I say, does it feel good when I do this? She said, yes. I said, ooh, you do need servicing. And I took her into the bedroom. <laughs> what I did is I turned to tables. I'm not the one who wanted sex. She's the one who needed sex. Um, another thing that I did is um, uh, on another night, um, she said, oh, you know, I really want to see you tonight. Can you come over? I'll cook you dinner. So I replied, um, um, now I don't know if I replied or if I went over there. I went over there and I had dinner with her. And then after dinner, while we were standing up, I kissed her and I said, you know what, darling? You cooked me dinner, I'll service you. It's only fair. And took her in the bedroom. So again, I had turned the tables, and I knew I could get away with that because I was giving her orgasms. Um, so she always wanted to have sex, so I was turning the tables on it. Now, another example of really taking advantage of the fact that they're sexual is one thing I did with her one night. We were lying naked in the bed, and I was just talking softly to her, and I was lightly rubbing her clitoris. And I said, I want you to tell me a fantasy that you've never told anybody before in your life. Mm -hmm. She mm, she's kind of hesitated, so I stopped rubbing her clitoris. I said, if you don't tell me, I'm going to stop rubbing. So I started rubbing again. I said, I want you to tell me a fantasy you've never told anybody in your life. And of course, while I'm rubbing her fantasy, while I'm rubbing her clitoris, I'm already screwing up the words. While I'm rubbing her clitoris, of course, um, in the context of heightened sexual arousal, the woman's mind gets dirtier and dirtier. And she f hesitated, but she finally started to reveal it. But she wasn't really giving me the details. I said, I'm going to stop rubbing unless you tell me. And I coaxed a uh, really bizarre fantasy out of her. And then what I did is I started narrating, okay, you are now with that couple. Um, the 
the woman is doing this to you while I was rubbing her clitoris. And she closed her eyes. And I started narrating the fantasy back to her while I rubbed her clitoris. And I said, and I am telling you as if I'm standing next to her while all this is going on, which, of course, in her fantasy I was because I was her boyfriend at the time. And mm-hmm. when you're her lover at the time, you're always involved in the fantasy, even if you're off to the side telling her what to do. All right, okay, the woman is doing this, the man's doing that, and I'm telling you, you cannot come yet. No, you cannot come yet. I also had to do that to, <laughs> to extend her heightened arousal, right, so I could finish the fantasy. And I described the fantasy to her while I was rubbing her clitoris, while she was right on the edge of having an orgasm for an extended period. And I was actually narrating it right there next to her ear and also describing that I'm standing there in the scene telling her what to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, and now they do this, and now I tell you, show me how good you can come for me now. Come now. And she had a massive explosive orgasm. And, of course, I kept reinforcing, come now, come now, come for me, come like a good girl, all that stuff, planting a whole bunch of anchors, NLP anchors, or hypnotic suggestions, which further strengthens that I can use that at a later date. And what I have done is I have intimately associated myself to that fantasy and I have I have gone even deeper into her sexuality. I'm even deeper entwined into her sexuality. Right. It's it's kind of like uh you're building sex sexual intimacy and rapport. And I noticed the first thing was that you were uh you were getting her aroused before you talk about fantasies. Because you're making sure that she's in the right emotional state to tell you her real fantasies, you know, the, the real things that she's thinking about. And, and so you get a, as we were talking about earlier, that you get to reality, you get to the truth. Because, you know, if, if we're sitting in an office or, you know, if we're, if, if we're sitting out in a cafe with a girl and we ask her what a fantasy is, that's really not a situation where she's, she's going to actually tell you what her greatest fantasy is. Right. Right. You know, when you first ask a girl what her uh, for one of her fantasies, uh, she'll say, oh, uh, you know, I'd like to do it in a public place. Whoop-de-fucking-do. <laughs> yeah, every woman has that fantasy. So what? Yeah, they're going to give her a really tame one. Right. Uh, by then, I, I had been dating her for a couple months by then, mm-hmm. and uh, we were pretty intimate by then. And, yeah, that's true. I leveraged the uh, heightened arousal. <laughs> And she also knew that she wasn't going to get an orgasm until she gave me the truth. <laughs> and, you, you know, you, you, you kind of have them by the short hairs, you know what I mean? <laughs> they got to come up with something good. And, you know, by then she was happy to share that with me. I just did it in a situation which made it really enjoyable for her and really associated me deeply with her fantasy and with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I did a number of things all at the same time. I also further planted the come now command. And, uh, and so, so there, mean, there, there's what, what's going on is you're kind of building a story, but, you know, the, the sexual relationship aspect of the relationship with each other. You're, 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 oh, yeah. you're building this, you know, the, the words you kind of say together, right? Like in all relationships, we, as, as they evolve, as, you know, we start them and uh, we, we learn more about each other, we kind of 
build build on who we were as separate people and we build our you know routines that are both of ours right and things we say to each other uh, that we both understand it's kind of like our world right and it seems like that's really what you're doing there it's, it's building sexual rapport it's, it's extending the relationship building a sexual world and common understanding in our world in, in in terms of sex as well Yes, that's very true. You're definitely deeply building the intimacy very strongly. And what this does is it massively, massively accelerates her responsiveness to you. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really not about orgasms. Orgasms are the waypoints, mm-hmm. right? They're just the markers along the way. Mm-hmm. What is of utmost importance is responsiveness. Yeah, orgasms have to be there, but ultimately it's about responsiveness. It's about orgasms on command. It's about vaginal orgasms on command. It's about how you go on and on and on. It's mm-hmm. about instantly being, being able to turn her on instantly with one phrase, get her instantly dripping wet. It, ultra-responsiveness, that's what it's ultimately about. And that's what she is addicted to. That's what every woman dreams of. And when she finds it, she's like totally helpless and lost in it and addicted to it and she loves it and can't have enough of it and that's what builds strong relationships totally would you say that like they were talking about the responses of responsiveness of the women and i like how how you put that and also it's it's not entirely the orgasm right you said you know no no, orgasms are just a way along the way there can be several different levels of of responsiveness obviously so if she's getting wet um and and showing other sexual signals then that's all good too right uh right uh, of course is you know orgasms are great uh how about how about it from the male side is it important for him to be responsive to the woman you know, this, right. as this is this is a you know sex sex takes two. So you know, from the male side, what's he doing? You know, what, what does he have to think about from in terms of his responsiveness? Is is there anything that he could be doing wrong? Or? Well, I can I can speak for me and my top clients, mm-hmm. the, my top clients that I speak to on a regular basis in my online forum, mm-hmm. and myself and my top clients, we get off big time on our woman being responsive to us. Mm. We get off on it big time. Does that make us responsive to her? You could call it that. But we as men, we lead. We take all responsibility for everything sexual. Mm. So, you know, can you call it responsive to her? I guess you could in that... When she gets turned on and we choose to become turned on, we have no problem getting an erection because we're really turned on by her. So I guess you could say that's responsive to her. Um, But because we're so in tune with her, we can pound away for a very extended time because we're doing it because we want to do a whole bunch of stuff in that one particular sexual episode. So does that make us less responsive to her? I think it makes us more responsive to her. I think it makes us, um, um, yeah, I guess you could say more responsive to her in that we're more intimate with her. We're more sexually connected to her. We feel more sexual ourselves. And it is true that 
when we're with a woman who's very responsive to us, we're very into her, it's no problem getting an erection. And it's also no problem lasting a long time because we're really into her and we have a number of things planned that we want to accomplish that night. Uh, so, yeah, you could say it does make us more responsive to her. I don't really use those words, but, yeah, you could say that. Okay, okay, great. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, let's, let's, let's move on a little bit to one of your, one of your products is called uh, Selecting Women Wisely. Select Women Wisely. And this is really about, like, not necessarily, you know, thinking about marriage or whatever, um, as I understand it. But in, in this book, you're, you're talking about uh, the importance of, you know, selecting a woman for both of your enjoyment. Uh, it, of course, if, if you're going to get married, it's important to do it uh, the right way. But are you talking, like, about selecting women wisely, selecting the right women for in terms of, of uh, sex, sexuality also, you know, we've been talking about orgasms and, and sexuality. Do you think um, if to have a good sexual relationship, you have to start from picking the right girl? Or is it possible to start from pretty much any girl and kind of work towards, you know, a great sexual relationship? Okay. It is true that a woman who is best for relationship is also going to be the best for having orgasms. Mm. All right. Uh, for a lot of reasons. Now, really, the first thing I worked on, tried to figure out after my divorce is what did I do wrong? You know, why did that not work out? I tried to find out what did I do wrong? You know, well, it turns out after reading a lot of psychology books, uh, I started to learn about how people think about themselves, how people think about themselves and their relationships with other people. And it turned out that some people are better cut out for it than others. Some people feel better about themselves than others. And people who feel good about themselves make for much more successful relationships. Well, I looked at my ex-wife. You know what? It's funny. She actually didn't feel good about herself. She did not. She was smoking hot. But she was always asking me, did my butt look big in these pants? I want to say, shut the fuck up, you're smoking hot. <laughs> Women would die to look like you. <clears throat> but she didn't feel good about herself. Uh, there are a number of other examples, uh, which is surprising that she was so orgasmic. So I thought, you know what? My college sweetheart really felt really good about herself. And the women that I had dated in my 20s before I got married... Uh, they felt really good about themselves, and we had great relationships, and they were probably really good women to marry, but gosh darn, you know, just, I wasn't in love with them, you know, right? So I move on. Mm. And the women that I dated after my divorce, um, interestingly, the ones who really felt good about themselves, really had a healthy mental attitude, they were the ones I had the best relationships with, and it and turns out the best sex. Now, just because a woman is emotionally healthy and really feels good about herself and would make for a good relationship doesn't mean she's orgasmic yet. Like one woman that I dated after my divorce, actually the woman that I discovered the deep spot on, she's extremely emotionally healthy, well-rounded, educated young woman. Great gal, would have been 
would have made a great wife, just a wonderful, wonderful human being, and just a wonderful person, felt great about herself, her family, everybody in her life, other people. But she had never had an orgasm in her life, not one single orgasm in her life. Well, you know, believe it or not, it took like nine dates with her finally get sexual. And I couldn't give her an orgasm. I go, what? I, could, I, could, I couldn't give her clitoral orgasm. couldn't give her a vaginal orgasm. I didn't know what I was doing. And one night I just decided, well, I'll just try finding something that feels good. And that's when I accidentally discovered the deep spot. And all of a sudden she responded very powerfully to that. And I kept rubbing that, and all of a sudden she had this massive orgasm, the first orgasm of her entire life. And it was a vaginal orgasm. Well, from that night on, everything worked. You know, she easily had clitoral orgasm, easily had vaginal orgasms in intercourse. Everything worked. Mm-hmm. And we had a great relationship for nine months. Fabulous, fabulous relationship. What a wonderful girl. But we ended up going our separate ways. Uh, the massive age difference <laughs> didn't help. Um, but great girl. So I started to go, all right, so there's, there's a lot to how a woman thinks about herself. So I started researching that and I ran across a concept called self-esteem. Now, a lot of people have the wrong impression of what self-esteem is. People think self-esteem is ego, is confidence. No, not at all. Self-esteem is what you think of yourself. Do you feel good about yourself? Some people do, some people don't. And then there's the whole grayscale in between. Uh, Self-esteem means two things. Number one, do you believe that happiness is normal and right for you? And number two, do you believe that you are equipped to deal with the normal challenges of life? Uh, the highly respected, genuinely, generally accepted definition of self-esteem comes from Nathaniel Brandon, Ph.D. psychiatrist, uh, correction, psychologist, who actually dated Ann Rand at one time. He's now uh, in his mid-70s, married his hot mid-30s woman. <laughs> Got to tip my hat, man. Um, the guy knows who he's talking about. He has dedicated his life to the study of self-esteem. I can highly recommend him. So I studied that, and I began to see the association in the women that I had dated and the women that I had dated that I did not have successful relationships with and my ex-wife really had to do with a level of self-esteem, that the women who had a healthy self-esteem, who really felt good about themselves, really believed that happiness was normal and right for them. Well, we had great relationships. But women such as my ex-wife, she actually did not believe that happiness was normal and right for her. Of course, a person doesn't know this consciously, right? But it seems like when she had happiness, she had a great life. She went and sabotaged it Mm. because it was not natural for her. What was natural for her was drama. So she got with a bad boy that gave her lots of drama. Um, Okay, so if we're looking for a relationship, you're saying we should look for a woman with high self-esteem. Yeah, we should. But we have to understand we have it's very, very critically important, Angel. We have to understand what high self-esteem is. It's critically important. Mm -hmm. Don't go looking for confidence. Don't go looking for ego. 
that's the wrong place. Uh, find out what high self-esteem is, the, the, the true definition, and understand it. It really is a chore. It's, it is truly a chore to understand truly what self-esteem is, but when you do, then you'll start identifying it very easily out there. Okay. Well, I, well, I completely agree with you, you know, on, on the self-esteem topic, and I think it's not talked about enough at all, and uh, I also think it's kind of, it's, it, it can take a while to get your head around exactly what that word means, or that phrase, that mini phrase, uh, in, in terms of when, when you're looking at women. Uh, so w- what I want to do uh, here is also, like, just, just kind of make the link back to sex. Do you think, you know, high self-esteem is is connected to you differentiating between with women that you've had great sex and other women that you you haven't had great sex. Do you think there's anything that plays uh, between that from the girl's perspective and also our perspective, right? We have we have a self-esteem level. The girl has a self-esteem level. How do they relate to each other? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let, let's take the one between a woman's level of self-esteem and her ability to be orgasmic. Mm-hmm. Again, orgasms are just a waypoint, but they have to be there. <laughs> they have to be there for a successful relationship. Yep. Um, and I, I'm going to point out a lot of unsuccessful relationships uh, that, that didn't have orgasms and uh, whatnot. Anyway, it is absolutely true that, remember I said that female sexuality is entirely mental. All women are equipped with the hardware to have orgasms, but a lot aren't, and it's all mental, and it really and I didn't mention it then, but now that we've talked about self-esteem, it really has a lot, an awful lot to do with her level of self-esteem. Because the signals are going to go up the spinal cord and into the brain. But if a woman does not believe that happiness is normal and right for her, she's not going to believe that she deserves pleasure. All right, she's going to start feeling this pleasure. She's going, no, this is not right. I cannot handle this. I do not deserve this. And she'll start sabotaging it. Mm. Um, but a woman who believes that happiness is normal and right for her, she'll feel this pleasure. She'll go, oh, I like this. I'm going to feel more of this. Bring it on. I'm going to celebrate myself. And the pleasure increases to the point of explosion, you know, overwhelming helplessness explosion. And she gets to experience this amazing, incredible pleasure. For a woman who has a healthy self-esteem, she will welcome that. For a woman who has a very low self-esteem, she will sabotage it. She will push it away. She will not allow it to happen. Now, you talked about our self-esteem as men. This is very true. Our self-esteem as men is very important. Uh, If there's anything that I want to do in my products is for men to to really feel like a man, damn it. Uh, when I'm with a woman that is very responsive to me, and uh, as we discussed tonight, I am responsive to her, I really feel like a man. You know, she's doing all these horny, naughty, slutty sexual things with me. That makes me feel like a man. I, I really get to enjoy everything about being a man. But I have to I have to be very comfortable with her sexuality to do it. I have to be... I have to feel good about myself in order to feel good about her and in order for her to, to help her feel good about herself. 
if we as men have issues with our sexuality or how we feel about ourselves, it's going to manifest itself in our sexuality. In fact, that's, that's where it's really going to manifest itself. It's like, that's where it really comes out. Um, if we do not believe that happiness is normal and right for us, all sorts of weird shit's going to happen. Uh, our subconscious mind is going to sabotage it. An erection and orgasm is completely controlled by the subconscious mind. We cannot will those things to happen. Uh, they're very much under the control of the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is the final judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to erections and orgasms. And if our subconscious mind is not feeling good about this, it's going to sabotage it. And it can do that in a number of ways. One of them is just not going to let you get a hard on. Mm-hmm. It's a no way you are not going to have sex with this woman. I'm not going <laughs> to give you an erection. So, so there you're saying that's a clue, right? Uh, that's one clue. <laughs> um, other things can be um, that uh, the subconscious mind will sabotage things, uh, make sure that she doesn't enjoy the sex by uh, making the guy come too early. The subconscious mind's going to sabotage it. Mm. If we don't feel good about ourselves, it's going to manifest itself in sexuality. It can manifest itself in a lot of ways. Like guys go out there and they get really good at picking up girls and bringing them home, but they don't end up closing the deal. A lot of guys get phone numbers, but they never call the girl because their subconscious mind says, yo, you're one hell of a pickup artist, but there's no fucking way I'm going to let you fuck her. No, I'm not going to let you call her. No way. All sorts of stuff goes on. Yeah, we have to understand that human sexuality is normal. It's right. It's okay. It's, it's natural. And we have to be comfortable with that. There's a lot of fucked up things that happen when we grow up. And then we have all the social programming on top of that. It fucks it up even more. Uh, we got to get okay with ourselves. We got to work on ourselves. That's why I love the pickup community. It's about self-development. We go out there and we find out what do we need to work on? Because we're not out there. We're not, we're trying. When, when we're learning pickup, we're actually learning what is it about ourselves that we need to work on? The true pickup artists, they're not out to manipulate women. They, they want to understand what do women really want? What do we have to give them that they really want? And what's keeping me from doing that? Uh, a lot of guys in the pickup community, they realize, oh, shit, they finally realize they have an anger issue. Or they realize, oh, they got issues with sexuality. They, don't, they actually don't feel normal and natural about sexuality. And, and they end up sabotaging themselves. Uh, or they realize they don't feel good about themselves, or they don't feel, oh, a woman's going to like them, or or they have issues with sexuality, and they, they finally pull a girl home, then they can't get it up, or uh, they get into a relationship, but they keep coming early. Uh, so what we do in the seduction community and in what I'm teaching my clients is we're working on ourselves, we're not trying to change girls. <laughs> we want to understand them. We want to give them what they want. Mm-hmm. We have to understand what it, but we are basically working on ourselves. So it's, it's all about personal development. 
Yep. I'm, I mean, that's what we're all about at Dating Skills Review. Uh, we, we think it's all about uh, self-development. And uh, the process, as you, as you said, it, it's got an innate feedback mechanism. When you go out there, you're meeting girls or you're trying to start new relationships, you're going to get a lot more feedback than you've ever got before, before you started on this journey. And all of that feedback is is basically going to give you ideas about you know where you have to go to next, where, where you're falling down, uh, what things do you need to work on to improve yourself. And so it, it really is for everyone who, who goes through this journey, it's, it's a great self-awareness journey and a, it's, it's something that typically you know ends ends up uh, building on their whole lives not not just dating and, and women and so on uh, so, right so man I want to throw uh, something out there which some people might find a little bit counterintuitive uh, promiscuity right so you talked about uh, a little bit about promiscuity in, in one of your books and there you're saying that promiscuity is is not the result of high self-esteem can you just talk briefly about that? And because I think a lot of people think, you know, that promiscuous people, like a, a girl who, you know, goes and sees lots of guys is, is confident and that's why she does it, right? Um, and, and maybe a guy who does the same thing. So, you know, what are your ideas on that? All right. There's a lot of ways to look at promiscuity. Uh, and promiscuity and self-esteem, how do they go in that? Well, first of all, Let's look at the uh, very low self-esteem woman who does not feel good about herself, but if anybody were to look at her, they go, why the fuck do you not feel good about yourself? You're smoking hot. Um, what you f- what? She's going to look for external validation because she is unable to give herself validation. She can't. She cannot self-validate because she doesn't have the self-esteem to do it. Mm-hmm. So she looks for external validation. She is a bottomless pit of emotional need and validation seeking. And she will get her temporary uh, drug hit by scoring a guy. It proves to her that she's validated because some guy tried to have sex with her. So there's that going on. Uh, then let's look at the entire other end of the spectrum. Let's go some woman who has a high self-esteem, uh, really feels good about herself, has absolutely zero interest in external validation and gets really perturbed if somebody tries to give it to her. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, she... <laughs> Who knows how many people she's sleeping with, but she's not doing it for validation. But you will probably find that it is not as many men. And you'll probably find that those women, they will tend to gravitate to a man that they can feel very good with, and they will experience all of their sexuality with that one man. So typically, bottom line, women of high self-esteem, it depends on how you mean promiscuous. Do you mean the number of men that she's currently sleeping with or the number of men she's been with? A woman of high self-esteem is going to select men not on numbers, but on quality. 
uh, the quality of the relationship that she has with him. But she may have gone through a number of men to get there. Uh, a woman of uh, low self-esteem uh, is interested in that regular uh, in drug, uh, drug hit of scoring a guy. Um, there, I have seen women of healthy self-esteem uh, get divorced and then get another guy. I rarely see them cheating on their husband, but women of low self-esteem, she'll cheat on her husband because she doesn't want to be alone. She'll find a new guy before she leaves her husband. But a woman of uh, high self-esteem, she has no problem being alone. She's self-validated. She'll leave her husband, and then, after some healing time, then she'll go look for a new lover. So it depends what you mean by promiscuous. Uh, some, some high self-esteem women that have been with a lot of men. Yeah, I, I thought you know I, I thought that was something interesting to bring up, and uh, that would give something so our reader, our listeners, uh, something to think about a little bit. You know, promiscuity, loyalty, cheating, and how it relates to uh, self-esteem and. You know, oh, okay. Someone yeah. interesting for themselves. Well, cheating, cheating. All right. Uh, women of high self-esteem, uh, they are not cheaters uh, like a woman of low self-esteem. Women of high self-esteem, now they'll just tell the guy get lost, and then she'll go look for a new guy after she spends a little bit of time by herself. A uh, woman of low self-esteem, uh, she'll cheat because... She doesn't want to be alone. She wants to make sure she's got a new guy before she leaves the guy she's with. So if you're talking about cheating, yeah, you can much more trust a woman of healthy self-esteem, but that doesn't mean you're going to keep her. That only means she's not going to cheat on you, but that does not mean you're going to keep her. Of course. <laughs> that's a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's where working on ourselves comes in. All right. Now, at the end of all of these podcast sessions, we ask uh, a question. It's the same question for everyone. What are the top three things someone should do if they want to get good with women as quickly as possible? What are those top three things they should focus on? Well, one thing came to mind when we were talking about learning pickup and self-development and learning a lot by talking to a lot of girls I would say find yourself a coach, a coach that you trust, a coach that you really believe in, a coach who you think he feels good about himself and go learn from him because you can talk to a lot of girls. You could be doing the same, the same thing, the wrong thing over and over again. You, you need a coach who's an outside observer. Um, you know, there's the old saying, if you know what you want to accomplish, find out the price and pay it. All right? That's Okay, that's what, what, what does advice. that one mean? So that's number two. First one, get a coach you believe in. Right. Number two is, you know, find out the price and pay it. What does that mean? Um, find out what you need to do to accomplish your goals and then find out how much it costs and then fucking pay it because that's the way 
to attaining your goals. And I can think of a few things I've accomplished in my time. And I figured out, all right, what do I have to do? What's the cost? Pay it and just do it. Um, the first was getting my undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. Okay, it's going to cost me a shitload of money. I'm going to have I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to do all the and I'm going to have to take four years of calculus and physics and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, that's the price. I guess I got to pay it, and I paid it, and I got my degree. Um, starting my own business. Um, well, actually, <laughs> it wasn't a dream of mine to start my own business. I I just I just wrote this cool book, and I wanted guys to know about it. I, I'll, I'll share it with guys. I'll, I'll sell it for 30 bucks. I'll make some beer money, man. I really didn't think about uh, business. But it was actually years later where I thought, you know what? I'm tired of engineering. I want to do this full time. i got to turn this into a business. All right, what's it going to take? Uh, so I found out what the i got to hire a marketing manager because I don't know shit about marketing. Uh, I got to pay him a salary. I got to pay him a huge chunk of income. Well, I got to do it. All right, I'll do it. And he told me what I need to do, and I went out. I just did it. Uh, a few years later, I was actually able to quit my day job and do this full time. And now that I have raised a family, and there, my two sons are independent. And they're both happily married now. Uh, I'm independent. I'm away from the day job. My business is going great. Um, I now have the time to actually finally learn pickup. So I decided, what's it going to cost me to really get really fucking good at this game that that, that I've dabbled in for years, but only half-assed, so I'm not getting anywhere. i got to get serious about that. That's what it's going to cost me. I found out (laughs) <laughs> it's a lot because <laughs> I went to the top uh, I got the, the highest level of education and yeah it's costing me but I'm getting there it, things are working out man it's working out good good alright what's now, the third the thing third, the third thing <sighs> find out what it's going to take to improve your own self-esteem and do it. It's all about improving yourself, especially your self-esteem, because nothing's going to happen until you feel good about yourself. If you don't, everything's going to get sabotaged. But if you feel good about yourself, everything, everything is so much more enjoyable. Would you turn that around and ask yourself, what makes me feel bad about myself in my life to find out? what to work on? Well, that's probably a clue. I don't know if it's something you'd want to dwell on, but I am not the expert in that. I'm not a therapist. Mm -hmm. But I think a great place to start would be reading the book called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. And then uh, find a therapist who subscribes to the concept of self-esteem. Because there's a lot of... Uh, useless therapists out there. There's a few really good ones. Get with them, and uh, they'll tell you uh, how to go down the road of developing a healthy self-esteem. And nobody has a perfect health esteem. It's like perfect health. Nobody has perfect health. You kind of, as we engineers would say, you reach it asymptotically. 
Um, everybody can work on their self-esteem, and I'm continually working on it. God knows I have things to improve on, okay? Um, but I'm very fortunate that I had a wonderful childhood, have a lovely family. My parents are wonderful people. I'm very lucky in that regard. I was just raised to be an AFC nice guy. <laughs> but we know how to fix that, right? <laughs> uh, but even still, I am always working on my self-esteem. So that would have to be the third thing is uh, find out what it takes to develop your self-esteem because – Self-validation is where it's at, man. It's got nothing to do with how many girls sleep with you. It's all self-validation. That, that's where it's really at. When you're self-validated, uh, you're going to enjoy every girl that you're with. Even the ones you don't end up getting with, you're still going to enjoy them. That's, that's great as a, as a final note. Uh, thank you very much for that, David. And it's been great having you on the show. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, Angel. I, I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking to you, man. Great. All right, man. Well, take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Angel. You can find out more about today's podcast and Dating Instructor on Dating Skills Review. Google Dating Skills Review or Dating Skills Podcast, and you'll be there. For first-timers on the podcast, Dating Skills Review is the largest database of dating advice on the planet. If it exists, we have it. Before you do anything else, read anything else, listen to anything else about dating, sex, or attraction, download our free manual, Fast Track, 7 Rules to Get Good with Women in Months, Not Years. You can download it right from the Dating Skills Review homepage. That's datingskillsreview.com. It will teach you the best-in-class learning strategy that the top dating instructors in the world have used to get good with women. Readers say it's flawless. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and give us a five-star review. Those reviews help to increase our iTunes ranking and spread the word. Dating Skills Review wouldn't be what it is today without your feedback and support, so a big thanks there. This is Angel Donovan from Dating Skills Review. Get working on those skills hard this week, because next week we're taking another step up to mastering your dating life. Dating Skills Podcast is brought to you by Dating Skills Review. Dating Skills Review is the Amazon.com of dating advice for men. If it exists, we have it. We help you find the best advice fast, so you can get good with women in months, not years. Learn more at www.datingskillsreview.com.